0: Well, we're continuing our series uh, in the book of Galatians titled, The Gospel, No Updates Needed. Now, almost all the commentaries uh, agree that this passage that we're going to look at is the most difficult and hardest passage in the book of Galatians. It's not easy to understand on a quick read, and and we're trying to understand exactly what Paul is saying, or perhaps more accurately, we, we know what he's saying in in some parts of it in other parts we are trying to figure out what is he up to what it's just the way that it's written that kind of really trips us up and so for a lot of reasons people kind of skip over this passage because they know some good stuff's coming in chapter five you know like the fruits of the spirit let me focus on that and so we miss uh we, we miss it a long way and Paul's whole theme in Galatians is he defending the gospel I mean the Galatians wanted to go back to following the law. And Paul's trying to point out to them every way that he can, the fault in that. And so I I got to admit to you that in reading this, it sounds kind of strange to our ears, but Paul's argument in this passage is, is very Jewish, actually kind of rabbinical in his, uh, in his writing, which means that if you were a first century Christian, you probably would get it. But because it's written in... Um, us 21st century readers kind of see this as kind of a little bit uh, cold and, and clinical. But anyhow, we're going we're gonna to look at it. And to uh, make matters more challenging, there's parts of the passage that are, like I said, we understand and parts that seem to make no sense at all. I had a few different titles um, for my message this morning. Uh, Pastor Tom texted me, he's away, and he said, what's your title? So I gave him a couple of funny ones in the beginning, which I... Uh, won't repeat here. Um, they just didn't see appropriate for a Sunday. As we get into the story, uh, well, I'll tell you one. <laughs> I won't tell you the first one because you'd be like, <gasps> you, no. <laughs> Who, oh, you ready? Okay. Who's your mama? <laughs> All right, you'll see it as we get into it a little bit, but the title really is Born for Grace. And the key to this whole passage really is found in in verse 21. Paul writes, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? It's a question that he's asking them. And Paul's arguing with these that they want to go back to Judaism and take Jesus with them. And he's addressing people who want kind of like a hybrid religion. They want uh, part of the Jewish religion and part of Christianity. And they intend to believe Jesus, plus they want to live under the law as a means to please God and win his favor. And everything in this passage is really aimed at uh, these confused believers who are tempted to go back and follow the laws of Moses. His point here really is, have you considered the implications of what you're about to do? Paul wants to stir them up and get their thinking going and say, you really thought about this? And so you can have the law as a way of life, and you can have Jesus but you can't have both. In order to press the point, Paul uh, reminds him and he uses a very familiar story in verses uh, 22 and 23. We'll get to that in a minute. It's a story that he knew that they would know about. And then he draws an allegory from the story in verses uh, 24 through 27. And then he puts uh, the allegory to a contemporary situation. Now, When I got the preaching schedule it went up to verse 28 so that's what I prepared for and then I realized that the chapter goes to verse 31 okay just this morning I just realized because I was just focusing on what so next week Pastor Tony will start in 5-1 I'll make a few comments on the closing verses but I'm not really prepared to kind of you know really go into it Uh, but we'll be okay we'll make it through. All right, so anyhow, um, the Old Testament story is is a very familiar story to them. It's found in Galatians uh, chapter 4, verses 21 through 23, and this is what it says. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise." Now, the history behind this story is found in the book of Genesis. If you want to study it out, uh, Genesis 15, 16, and 17 really just laid a whole story out. And there's a lot in there, and I'm not going to focus on this story so much. I'm going to focus on the passage that we're talking about. But just to give you a background and kind of a backstory, Abraham is a prosperous pagan businessman. Uh, He's in, in the era of Chaldees. And uh, when God appears to him, he tells him, Abraham, I want you and Sarah, that's his wife, the two of them, to pick up where you're living and go to a land that I'll show you, okay? So he wants Abraham and Sarah to pack up their belongings, their life, their familiar surroundings, and go somewhere that they don't know where they're going, but God does, So they do that, and God promises to give them uh, descendants who would become a great nation. And that's all good and well, except at this point, Abraham is 75 years old, and Sarah is 65, and they have no children. In the course of them leaving, and eventually they end up in Canaan, that's the land that God promised them, 10 years pass, and still no son has been born. Now, The biological clock is ticking. Abraham is now very old. Sarah's old too. And um, Sarah has this idea. Because they have no children, it doesn't look too promising because of their age. Uh, She says to Abraham, why don't you take Hagar, my Egyptian maidservant, and take her as your wife? And with a little hesitancy, but finally Abraham says, "Okay," he agrees to it. And in the course of time, Hagar, which is her name, uh, has a child, and uh, they name the child Ishmael. And um, so it can be noted in some regard that Sarah's like you know offer at this point was, was a little bit noble. She concluded that since she was now 75 years old and Abraham was 85, there's no way they could have a baby. This was the perfect, reasonable, human conclusion to a situation. So she and Abraham decided to take the matters into their own hands and help God out. How many of you know this morning, God doesn't need our help? But, of course, God doesn't need our help. And whenever we try to help God out, instead of waiting for God to reveal his plan and his time, things get worse, not better. What was true for Abraham and Sarah is true for us. Anytime we take things in our own hands and we try to work it out, it usually doesn't work out if God's doing something. And that's exactly what happened. And you read the account in Genesis chapter 16 that tells us that animosity Uh, arose between Sarah and Hagar. Listen, you got two women and one man. That's never going to work out, okay? And so this young man, Ishmael, grows up in a very difficult and unhappy home situation. Fourteen more years pass. Abraham now 99, Sarah 89. His body is good as dead. Her womb seems to be shut tight. There's no chance, none whatsoever, that they can have a child together. But that's precisely the point. God announces that Sarah will conceive and bear a son within a year. God revived their bodies, Abraham and Sarah, and 12 months later, a child is born, a son named Isaac. As Paul puts it, Ishmael was born by ordinary means. Isaac was born free because his mother was a free woman. He was a child of promise. Let me um, just give you the facts in a very simple way. So you got one father, two mothers, two sons. One born the ordinary way, one son born with God's intervention. One son born with spiritual, by spiritual compromise, one son born according to God's promise. Ishmael, born according to works, taking things into their own hands, human effort. Isaac was born because Sarah and Abraham believed God's promise. This whole family is like a kind of dysfunctional soap opera because self-effort and faith in God can't exist together. They can't live in harmony. So we look at this and we say, well, what's Paul going to do with this? Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are in labor. For the children of the desolate will be more than those than the one who has a husband. And that's where it gets really confusing. Like you read that and you're like, what? What's going on there? What is he trying to say? All right. And so the easiest way to kind of sort this out is to start where Paul starts. Okay, we got two women, two sons. One of them, and all of them are real people that existed. They lived on earth. They, this is part of the story. Like I said, the story is told in Genesis. But what happens next is Paul looks back at these kind of historical people and draws certain conclusions for them. In essence, he says there's a huge difference between Sarah and Hagar. Sarah represents grace, and Hagar represents the law. Sarah stands for trusting God alone, and Hagar stands for trying to please God through our own efforts. And the sons born to them represent the way of faith, Isaac, versus the way of works, Ishmael. He, Paul, takes a life of real people that point to and kind of represent a certain spiritual truth. Paul is saying that Sarah is of the line of faith, and Hagar is of the line of work, works, those who follow the way of Hagar are people who believe that religion and good works and self-effort will be enough to gain forgiveness, salvation, and a a place in heaven. And those who follow Sarah are the people who have rejected self-effort and have chosen to believe what God has said. Now, I find it kind of amazing because we're talking about grace. And this is a beautiful picture of what grace really is. Because you have Abraham and Sarah, who God gave them a promise. And when it wasn't happening in their time and in their way, they took things into their own hands. They were going to solve the problem. They were going to help God out. Yet, God still holds to his promise. That's grace. And you know what? Sometimes we take things into our own hands and we try to work them out. And we try to help God along the way. Yeah, we know God, we know, you know, we figure it out. Yeah, we can, no. Never works out good when we do that. Now, the reference in this passage to Mount Sinai, where it gets a little confusing, points us back to the giving of the law of Moses. The earthly Jerusalem is the Jerusalem of the first century, which was the world headquarters of Judaism with its dependence on the law as a means of salvation. So Paul is telling them that Hagar represents that. But since none of us can be saved by keeping the law, the people who live in Jerusalem are enslaved by the law. They are trapped by demands that can never be met. If we want to live our lives according to the law, we're going to be very frustrated because we're not going to be able to keep the law. I mean, I could just really speak for myself, but I know I wouldn't be able to keep the law. I've broken it many times. Now the slave woman, is uh, there's a contrast between Sarah. Sarah stands for the promise of God that's really found in the gospel, which reveals us to us the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. The slave woman, Hagar, produces a slave son, Ishmael. It stands for everyone who's enslaved by the law as a means of salvation. Remember back in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, he was a teacher of the law. He comes to Jesus by night. And some people reference this that he came by night because he didn't want to be seen talking with Jesus during the day. It would have created some complications for him. But he had to find out what was going on here. He sensed that there was something about Jesus that was there. And he says to him, It's obvious, you know, you're a great teacher, you know? And Jesus was on to explain to him, listen, um, you have to be born naturally, and you have to be born spiritually. That's the only way it works. And Nicodemus was confused. He says, well, what do, I, what do I have to do, go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus tells him, what's born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the spirit is spirit. I like how the New Living Translation renders it. it. says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And freedom, and, and Sarah being a free woman, produces a free child. See, freedom comes from freedom. And then we go on in verse 26 and 27, and there's a quotation that Paul uses from uh, Isaiah 54.1. And he says rejoice O barren one who does not bear break forth and cry aloud you who are in labor for the children of the desolate will be more than those of the one who has a husband Little confusing again But these verses point to the coming day when the barren woman Sarah will rejoice because she has more children than the other woman Hagar See the law can't produce life but but grace produces life abundantly Any place, there's grace operating. There's life there. And, and so Paul's pointing this out, and he wants the Galatians to understand that every system that relies on human effort or human performance is, in fact, a system of slavery. And he's trying to tell them that if you're going to follow the law, you're going to find yourself enslaved by it. Paul wants the Galatians to see how this story highlights the very danger uh, he's been trying to explain to them if like Sarah and Abraham, you're trying to take matters into your own hands, you'll end up shackled and enslaved. And like I said, I I think this this is really a really true picture of what grace is, because, you know, God could have said, well, you know what? You didn't follow my ways, so you're out. Not going to happen for you. But see, that's what grace is all about. It gives us what we don't deserve. And so, Paul is reminding us that human effort will never make us right with God. It can never earn God's acceptance. He's making a point over and over and over again in different ways in the book of Galatians. And then we come to verse 28. and It says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. So he says that Isaac was a child of promise. In this verse, he refers to um, not just Isaac, but you and I. Okay, They're people whose inner life is the work of God's Spirit. It's a fulfillment of his promise in our lives. We are children of promise, not of works. And those who know Jesus, even though there's something that can't be seen or measured, there's something very real that happens. We're forgiven, redeemed, justified, accepted, given a new name and a new life adopted, reconciled, empowered, filled, called, gifted, and commissioned. Wow. Children of promise. But for you and I, here's what it really comes down to. It really comes down to we desperately need to be nurtured by God's grace. The famous 19th century preacher Dale Moody once declared, a man can no more take in a a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months. Nor can he inhale significant air into his lungs with one breath to sustain life for over a week to come. We are permitted to draw upon the store of God's grace from day to day as we need it. And I think that we really... The challenge for us is that we really begin to understand what God's grace really is all about. It's not about, you know, I can do whatever I want, you know what I mean, and it's okay, God will just... No, see, when you experience real grace in your life, it makes you not want to do certain things because you say, wow, man, God, you're so amazing. I, I don't want to go there. You know, I don't want to do that. And Paul's telling us here that this grace is a liberating grace, It helps us rest in God's promises, not in religious or moral performance. God's word promises us true freedom when we admit that we're slaves to sin. God's word offers us true freedom when we admit we're not good enough, uh, that we're not wise enough, and we're not strong enough. I like how the author Jerry Bridges puts it. Your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. We need to come and understand grace in a, even in a different way. To be adopted into God's family is to come under the nurture of his grace. And the only reason we can be adopted into God's family is because God's own son took our slavery and the burden of our sin upon himself and nailed it to the cross. On that splintered and blood-soaked cross, Jesus redeemed us from slavery by paying the ransom with his own life. But through his resurrection, he has broken the bonds of slavery. You and I had a debt against us, debt of sin. We couldn't pay it. Just picture this for a minute. This will maybe help you get it a little bit. So say you go home today and you get a notice, and it says somebody paid your mortgage off, and somebody paid all your bills. You don't owe anybody anything anymore. That debt that you had has been completely erased. Now, I'm sure you'd get on the phone and try to verify that. (laughs) Somebody trying to scam me, man. (laughs) You'd verify that because it's just too amazing. You don't have the pressure of owing anybody any money. It's been taken care of. Now, that may be a kind of cheap example, but it helps us understand a little bit about, you know, Jesus ransoming us. We had a debt that was against us that we could do nothing about. Could you imagine if, like, you had to pay your mortgage the rest of your life, like you just kept paying it and paying it, and you were never going to pay it off? But Jesus comes along, and he pays a debt that you and I owe, the debt of sin, and he frees us. That's why his grace is liberating. That's why it sets us free. He paid the necessary amount to clear a debt that you and I owned, And so because of that, it says in 28, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Now, it was supposed to end right here. But it went a little further, which I didn't know about till this morning. So we'll look at it, okay? It says, Now you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. What does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share any inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. We understand the part about, yeah, we're children of promise. We can get a hold of that. But what about the part about, yeah, persecuted? Well, if you go back to the original story and you read that, and I don't want to dwell on this at all. But Isaac, I mean, uh, Ishmael, who's 14 years older than Isaac... There's a point in the story where he begins to mock him and make fun of him, okay? And when you try to live the right way, if people are living according to the law, they're going to come after you. They're going to, they're going to think that your faith is not good enough, that you need to do more to earn God's favor. And, um, so I, and some people use this as a basis for kind of the Arab and Jewish tensions, Okay. If you go back to that, I don't know if I even want to touch that this morning. I'm not going I to I don't think it's worth it. Okay. But it says in 31, "Therefore, brothers and sisters, you are now children. You're not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman." And I love how it ends up in uh it starts out in chapter 5 verse 1. It says, "For freedom Christ set us free. Stand fast therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery because grace has set us free let's not go back to following that and you know if you're a kind of performance driven person then you're going to have a hard time like trusting in God's grace maybe you had to keep certain grades maybe you had to do certain things that you know you got the love when those things those conditions were met and when those conditions weren't met, you didn't feel loved and embraced. You're gonna have a hard time because you're gonna to come to God like that sometimes. And you're gonna feel like I gotta, you know, I gotta do more. I gotta, you know. And you know what? God's grace sets us free. And like I said, it's life changing. We we begin to I've been in the faith for a few years. I still don't understand and and, and really get the grasp of what it is to walk in grace. I need to remind myself because there's nothing that I can do to get it. God gives it to us. He paid the price. We get the benefits. That's a good arrangement, you know, when you think about it. But that's God's faithfulness. And like I said, if you want to look at Abraham and Sarah, you can say, well, you know what? They messed up. God shouldn't have given him his promise. But the fact of the matter is, I'm glad he did because you and I mess up too, you know? And God still calls us a child of promise. What an amazing, amazing arrangement we have with God. So as we move on in chapter 5, I just want to encourage you that um, eventually, while Paul still is defending the the gospel, but there's some good stuff in chapter 5. And I want to encourage you to just stick with it. And we're going to finish this book out. It's going to be great. But just know this week as you go about your kind of daily life that you're a child of promise and that you walk, you're walking in God's grace. Do you deserve it? Do I deserve it? No. But he gives it to us anyhow. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for for your grace as extended to us. God, we don't have a handle on it. We don't understand it. But, Lord, I pray that you would nurture us and teach us how to walk in your grace. Lord, that we would live our lives in a way that values what you've done for us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning or watching online that hasn't really opened their heart up to you, God, I pray that Lord, that that you would continue to draw them close to you. And God, that they would realize that they have a need for you in their lives like we all do. And Lord, I pray that this coming week that we would learn in a greater way how to walk in your grace and live in your grace. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.